Christians believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God without errors or contradictions. But it's hard to hold on to that belief when you actually start reading the Bible, especially when you're reading the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's supposed to be four stories about Jesus, except when you read the Gospel accounts, there seems to be contradictions. For example, when you look at the story of Jesus' birth, Mark doesn't even mention the story of Jesus' birth, neither does John. And then when Matthew and Luke tell the story of Jesus' birth, if it wasn't for the name Jesus, you would think they'd be talking about two different people. Or about Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. John doesn't even mention them. Mark mentions that he was out in the wilderness to be tempted. And Matthew and Luke, when they talk about Jesus' temptations, they give them in different order. Or about Jesus walking on the water. Matthew says that Peter came out and walked on the water with him. And Mark just mentions that Jesus walked on the water. And then John says that when Jesus got back in the boat, they immediately reached the shore. Or uh, when we get to the resurrection, the big story. There's so many things that seem to be contradictory. We know that there was women at the tomb, but some say there was one woman, like the Gospel of John, and other accounts say that there were many women there at the, at the tomb. Some say there was one angel, others says two. One account says that there was a, an earthquake. And when you get to the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't even mention that Jesus actually appeared to his disciples. All we hear about is the message from the angels. And so with all of these contradictions, how can we really call the Bible the inspired word of God without error or contradiction? We need to understand how the Bible was formed. Um, most scholars believe that Mark was written first and that Mark was a, a disciple of the Apostle Peter. And he wrote the first account and then Matthew and Luke took Mark as a template and then wrote their own gospel accounts off his account Matthew wrote to the Jews to one audience and Luke wrote to the Gentiles because he was a missionary with the Apostle Paul. And then John, when he wrote his gospel account, he had already known that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written a historical account and so he wrote his own account based on the theology of Jesus. Basically, what I'm saying is you don't need to be concerned about the apparent contradictions because the original authors weren't. They knew each other's stories, they knew each other's books, and they felt comfortable enough adjusting the story, focusing on different details because they were writing to different audiences. And so here's my challenge to you. The best way to understand the Gospels is to actually read them. I'd encourage you to read each Gospel, even in isolation, and appreciate the author's perspective and their own genius. Why don't we pray? Lord God, we thank you for the biographies of Jesus, each individual one and, and the unique perspective they tell us about you, Jesus. We pray that you would lead us to understand the depth and the, and the wisdom of each account and that we would grow in a deeper relationship with you. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever tried to read the Old Testament? It can be really challenging. There's all these stories about snakes and plagues and sacrifices and temples and rituals and there's all this poetry. In fact, it can be so challenging that maybe you're tempted to skip over the Old Testament and jump right to the stories of Jesus in the New Testament. And that's understandable. And if you do that, you will get the main message of Jesus by reading the New Testament. But I want to tell you, you're going to miss out on a lot. So I want to challenge you to consider the importance of the Old Testament, especially when you're reading 
the Gospel of Matthew. See, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so not only does he quote from the Old Testament, but he structures his whole book thinking through the Old Testament storyline. He breaks his book into five sections, just like the five books of Moses. And the way he tells the story, he tells the story as if Jesus is a new kind of Israel, as if Jesus is the fulfillment and a new kind of Moses. Here's what I mean. Just like Israel was in Egypt and was rescued out of Egypt, Matthew tells the story of Jesus being in Egypt as a little boy and he was rescued out of Egypt. Just like Israel passed through the Red Sea, the next story in Matthew is Jesus passing through the waters of his baptism. And just like Israel, after they passed through the Red Sea, went out into the wilderness for 40 years, after Jesus' baptism, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. And just like Israel was tempted with food, they were hungry, and they were tempted to test God when they ran out of water, and they were tempted to worship glory and power in these pagan idols, so too Jesus was tempted to uh, not trust God when he was hungry, he was tempted to test God, and he was tempted to worship Satan to get power and glory for himself. But here's the difference about Jesus and Israel. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded as our substitute. And then just like Moses went up on Mount Sinai, Matthew says that Jesus then went up on the mount and preached a message of God's law. But again, what makes Jesus different than Moses is he actually fulfilled the law in our place. You see, if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, you're gonna miss out on this beautiful picture and this story that Jesus is coming to fulfill. And so here's my challenge to you. Learn something about the Old Testament. Maybe get a a Bible study book, maybe like Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible or some Bible history book, or just try reading the Old Testament on your own. And when you do, you'll see the New Testament in brand new, colorful ways. So that's my challenge to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your great narrative of Scripture that goes all the way back to the people of Israel. Lord God, help us to see our place in your story and how Jesus fulfills that story as our great rescuer and king. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is such a controversial character? Maybe you've read the stories about Jesus and you see him healing the sick and taking care of the poor and preaching these wonderful sermons and you wonder, why would anyone want to kill Jesus? Well, some of our problem has to do with our lack of understanding of culture. See, we live in the 21st century, many of us in the Western culture, and we live in an individualistic society. That means that many of our stories are about us overcoming our challenges as individuals. And we live in a guilt culture. That means if we do something wrong, we try to make up for it ourselves. Well, in the first century, in Jesus' time, in Jesus' part of the world, they lived in a communal culture that had a shame-honor culture. That means that Each person was to fill their role in the community. And they also lived in a shame culture. That means if they didn't fulfill their role, they brought shame on the whole community. Now, what made Jesus so controversial is he fought against that culture. If somebody had brought shame on the culture, like tax collectors or prostitutes, he sought them out and welcomed them back into the community and forgave them. He also Uh, found people who were marginalized in society, like the poor or women, and brought them up to be equals in society. 
One of the most controversial stories that Jesus told was the story of the prodigal son. He tells a story about a son who treats his father as if he's already dead and says he wants his inheritance today. Then he takes his father's money and goes and spends it all in wild living. And when he comes back, you would expect in that culture that because he brought shame on the family, that he would continue to be exiled. And yet Jesus says that this father welcomes him back into the family. And that was so countercultural in Jesus' day. And Jesus says, that's what the Heavenly Father does. The Heavenly Father welcomes us back in. And so here's my challenge to you. When you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, don't read it from a perspective of someone living in the West in the 21st century. Try to read the Gospels how the original audience would have understood it from a shame-honor culture, from a communal culture, and then you will see how countercultural Jesus is. You will see him raising up the poor, raising up women, welcoming people back into the community, and he does the same thing today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you go against the grain of culture. You welcome people in, you forgive sins, and you give us all an equal status before you. Help us to appreciate how loving and accepting you are. In your name we pray, amen. If a person was just starting to read their Bible, I'd probably tell them that the first book they should read is the Gospel of John. See, John writes at like a, a first grade level. He uses very simple words like word and water and life and light. Very simple terminology. And yet, if there was one book of the Bible that you could meditate on for the rest of your life because it's so deep, it would also be the book of John. See, here's the challenge of John's gospel. When John was writing, he was writing a theological biography of Jesus. He knew that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written historical bi biographies of Jesus. They were very focused on the history and the dates and the timeline. But John, when he wrote his gospel later on, he really wanted people to understand the theology. That's why he said at the end of his gospel, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. Now, the way, Jesus, or the way John talked about theology, it's usually through dialogue. And so you have this story of Nicodemus, a religious leader, coming to speak to Jesus. And Jesus says this strange phrase. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And no one can see God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Now, Nicodemus hears this and he's confused. And maybe we are too. But what John wants us to do is he wants us to meditate on this and think about this and think theologically, think deeply, that what John is talking about is conversion. How we're born naturally as sinful people and now we need to be born again through faith and through baptism. Something similar happens in a dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, this woman is drying up water and Jesus says to her, I have water to give you that that if you get this water, you'll never grow thirsty again. In fact, this water will well up to you to be like a living water, a spring of water inside of you. She's confused at what Jesus is saying, and maybe we are too. But John is writing a theologically deep book. He wants us to think about this. And after we think about it for a while, we'll see that Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit satisfies our deepest longings. 
See, John wants us to think deeply about uh, theology, uh, deeply about spiritual matters, even when he uses simple terms. And so here's my challenge for you. Read this simple yet profoundly deep theological book, receiving it for what it really is, not necessarily a focus on history, but a focus on theology. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your wisdom in giving us the book of John. Lead us to, to have an open mind and an open heart to believe and understand all of these rich theological ideas and terms that you want to share with us. In your name we pray, amen. The New Testament has four distinct biographies about Jesus. And all this week we've been talking about the challenge of understanding those distinctions. But here's what I want us to remember, that although the gospel writers have four different viewpoints about Jesus, when it comes to the big ideas of Jesus' life, they all agree. All of them uh, understand that Jesus came from the nation of Israel. He was a Jew from the tribe of Judah, that he was born in Bethlehem, that he was the son of Mary, that he lived a perfect life as he healed people and took care of people and reached out to the marginalized, that he taught words of wisdom, he taught the word of God, that he willingly gave up his life for us and for our sins, and that he rose again, and that he's coming back again. They all agree on this, and so should you. Uh, I want you to know that there is a real Jesus behind the Gospels, uh, that he loves you, he lived for you, that he accepts you, he has forgiven you, and he's coming back for you. And so I want to challenge you to read the Gospels, to enjoy their distinct differences, but to really see the Jesus behind them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are real. You really lived historically. You really died and you rose again and you're coming back again. Help us to appreciate the different perspectives and viewpoints uh, in the biographies written about you, but through those biographies, help us to know you. In your name we pray, amen.